This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We expect to hear from some uh, old and new friends later in today's show, but uh, who and when are a little uncertain, so I'll just uh, leave you with that teaser. As we start the program, as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date in question is March 11th. It was on March 11th in the year 105 in China when paper was officially invented by Tsai Lun, an official of the Han Dynasty. Silun developed the process for converting vegetable fibers into sheets of paper. Yes, he was a real person, and his, inv- and his invention certainly is one of history's most important, which earned Silun the number seven position in Michael Hart's wonderful book, The 100, a list of the most influential persons in history. And by the way, Gutenberg was number eight, but of course... <laughs> The guy that invented the thing that you printed onto had to come ahead of him, didn't he? On this date in 1811 in England, laborers displaced by new textile machinery attacked the devices, taking its name from Ned Ludd, a young man from Leicester who's thought to have smashed machinery that was replacing workers in 1799. The Luddite movement was sparked by unemployment, hard times, and failing hope. The term Luddite has since come to refer to anyone who dislikes or resists new technology. I guess when it comes to stuff like Twitter, this correspondent may qualify. Seven years later, on March 11th in 1818, Frankenstein, or the Modern Prometheus, by 21-year-old English author Mary Wollenstonecraft Shelley, was published. In the book, as I'm sure you all know, a scientist animates a creature constructed from dismembered corpses. Frankenstein is often called the world's first science fiction novel. And on March 11th, 1917, in Petrograd, Russia, formerly known as St. Petersburg, disorder erupted in the midst of a general strike, and the Tsar's government lost control. Four days later, he abdicated. Curiously, on this same date in 1985, Mikhail Gorbachev was selected as the new general secretary and leader of the Soviet Union. Gorbachev instituted long-overdue reform policies, which, unfortunately for the Communist Party, proved impossible to control. By December of 1991, the USSR ceased to exist. So important was Gorbachev to uh, what happened to the Soviet Union that the aforementioned Michael Hart put him as 95th on his 100 Most Influential Persons in History in the latest edition of that book. Oh, and regarding the start of last week's show, someone asked about uh, this curiosity of the president being inaugurated on March 4th, since we now think of Inauguration Day as January 20th. Well, the January 20th tradition started in 1936 when, uh, looking back on it, it was thought that the early November to March transition period was far too long. And then in 1932 and 1933, that, uh, that change of administrations between Hoover and Roosevelt was just thought to have been problematic because it was too long, so they shortened it, and now we swear in the new guy on January 20th. Our quote of the day, and we have two today, are as follows. First, from Edmund Burke. It is a general error to imagine that the loudest complainers for the public to be the most anxious for its welfare. Well, Mr. Burke, we think we're complaining quite a bit sometimes. 
Well, Mr. Burke, we think we're complaining from time to time, but we are anxious for the public's welfare. But then again, he does have a point. We aren't complaining as loud as Fox News. Quote two from the inimitable Mark Twain, who said, Always tell the truth. That way you don't have to remember what you said. Our quip of the day comes from Jay Leno, who said earlier this week, The House has passed a $15 billion jobs bill. The bad news is, all those new jobs are fixing Toyotas. Our joke of the day comes from Conan O'Brien, who shortly before being displaced by Jay Leno said, NBC's been calling me every name in the book. In fact, they think I'm such an idiot, they now want me to run the network. Our stat of the day comes from a study by Satoshi Kanazawa, described as an evolutionary psychologist at the London School of Economics. According to Dr. Kanazawa's study, young adults who identify themselves as, quote, very liberal, unquote, score on average 11 IQ points higher than those claiming to be, quote, very conservative, unquote. Kanazawa's explanation for this is that those with higher intelligence are more open to new ideas rather than being slaves to their primitive impulses. Conservatives, he said, tend to act on their evolutionary instincts and tend to favor the interests of their own tribe. I don't know what to say about this study, but it does remind us of a great quote from Woodrow Wilson, who once said, A conservative is a man who likes to sit and think. Mostly, sit. Of course, for the sense of fairness, we should also quote Robert Frost, who said, A liberal is someone who is so broad-minded, he won't take his own side in an argument. So there it is. We report, you decide. And speaking of Toyota, uh, we, we cannot resist the faux news department of the Humor Times. That uh, excellent effort uh, from our pal James Israel. In the current edition, uh, there's an article about uh, the hopes to reverse the public relations setbacks of Toyota. Headline is, Toyota unveils new slogan, Drive a Toyota, you'll never stop. This slogan reportedly won out over some other entries they were considering, such as... Toyota, the last car you'll ever drive. And Toyota puts the pedal to the metal and keeps it there. Boy, and as an aside on automotive woes, have you heard about this one? General Motors now says it's going to wind down operations at its Hummer unit after the deal to sell the brand to China's Sichuan Tengzhou heavy industrial machinery fell through. Apparently, Sichuan Tengzong failed to win Chinese government approval of the sale, which had been in the works for the past two years. Hummer sold only 9,000 vehicles last year, a rather sharp fall-off from its peak sales of 71,000. What amazes me is the evolution of the Hummer. It started out as a troop transport, a, an army personnel carrier, which went to the general public thanks to the help of muscle man Arnold Schwarzenegger, who became the poster boy for domestic uh, Hummer sales. And, and, and now <laughs> they're planning to sell a U.S. troop transporting vehicle to the Chinese. Okay, well, what's wrong with this picture? Maybe you saw this ad that's currently in numerous uh, national magazine by the Siemens Corporation. It shows a bullet train. It says, Siemens high-speed rail transforms economies at 220 miles an hour, and it could be built by Americans... For Americans. Last time I checked, Siemens was a German corporation. <laughs> Am I wrong? I don't know. 
And actually, let's take a moment to delve into the miscellaneous file before we hit the good, the bad, and the ugly. History was made last week in the entertainment industry when Sandra Bullock became the first actor in history to win a Razzie and Oscar in the same week. Yes, apparently last weekend she walked off with a Razzie for Worst Actress for her performance in All About Steve. But uh, I guess the Academy decided to give her the Best Actress Award for The Blind Side. We, you know, we like giving the Razzies more coverage than the Oscars. Everybody covers the Oscars. We love the fact that the Worst Actor Razzie this year went to the siblings Kevin, Joe, and Nick Jonas for Jonas Brothers, the 3D Concert Experience. While the Worst Picture Award went to Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen, which also picked up Razzies for Worst Director and Worst Screenplay. Despite its lack of critical approval, Transformers took in $400 million domestically last year. And although this correspondent stopped watching Oscar ceremonies uh, at the time he stopped being a teenager, except for a snippet here and there, I'm pleased to note that at the Oscar ceremonies uh, this last Sunday, Sasha Baron Cohen was mysteriously absent. He and Ben Stiller were supposed to appear in colored costumes on stage to do a, a, a skit based on Avatar. Although apparently Ben Stiller did show up uh, in costume. And I must say, this was an opportunity missed. Sasha Baron Cohen and Ben Stiller on the same stage at the same time. Which means if they could have gotten Will Ferrell, Jim Carrey, and Robin Williams up there at the same time, they could have had the five least funny comedians in the world in the same place. But I digress. Baron Cohen was supposed to play a female alien to Stiller's male alien, and they were going to reveal that she was pregnant with director James Cameron's child, and they were going to have a a Jerry Springer-like face-off. Thank God, cooler heads prevailed. Sorry, we just can't help but laugh at the following item. After Russia's poor showing at the Vancouver Olympics, apparently everyone responsible for training that country's Olympic athletes will be replaced, according to Russian President Dmitry Medvedev. He was quoted as saying, They must have the courage to submit their resignation. If they do not have this resolve, we will help them. Medvedev is calling for an entirely new athlete training system, saying we have lost the Soviet sports school. It is simply gone. We have not formed our own system. Uh, No word yet on whether the new system is going to also return to the massive misuse of anabolic steroids, which seemed to help the Eastern Bloc uh, back in the 70s and 80s. But anyway, now let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for coming in third after researchers at Cornell found that Olympic bronze medal winners are on the average happier with their finishes than silver medalists. Silver medalists tend to fixate on their near miss, while bronze winners are just thankful to win anything. And there's a lesson in that for all of us. Remember those hideous Nike ads from a few years back? You don't win silver, you lose gold. Nike got a kick in the ass for those, and rightfully so. It was conversely a bad week last week for smokers, after a study at Sheba Medical Center in Israel found that the lower a person's IQ, 
the more likely it is that he or she smokes. Pack-a-day smokers had IQ scores 7.5 points lower than non-smokers. And no, we don't know whether the smokers were liberal or conservative. But doggone, if if you're a conservative smoker, hmm. And if you're a conservative smoker, smoking rights advocate, eh, enough said. Finally, it was an ugly week for venting last week after two Nepalese villages celebrated an annual 10-day cursing festival in which kids shout withering insults at one another, such as, Monkey face, I hope your sons are as ugly as frogs. And, I hope your buffaloes die of diarrhea. I think it's clear at this point, ladies and gentlemen, that the Nepalese do need some foreign aid in the swearing department. And from the Only in America file, we have the following breaking news item from our local Sacramento Superior Court. Writing in the Sacramento Bee, Andy Ferrio said, An Oregon girl whose truck driver father accidentally ran her over with his big rig has won $24.3 million in damages from the Portland company that a Sacramento judge has found legally responsible for her injuries. Yes, apparently Judge David W. Abbott said that the firm that hired Simon Lorza Mejia, that's the father who ran over his daughter, was liable for the girl's injuries. Apparently the judge's reasoning was that the defendant was listed on the shipper's bill of lading as the carrier. The defendant, that'd be the, the company, guaranteed delivery of the load, and the defendant insured the load. We're going to look into this story in more detail, but uh, the thumbnail sketch is that six years ago, the driver took his wife, daughter, and other family members on a Thanksgiving long-haul trip from, from their home in Oregon to Bakersfield. On their way back home, they stopped near Mount Shasta, at which point Mr. Loza Mejia apparently pulled out and ran over his daughter, who suffered terrible traumatic injuries in the accident. What I find curious is before the damages phase of the trial, the judge ruled from the bench to exclude the jury from knowing it was the girl's father who accidentally drove over her. The plaintiff's lawyers argued it would have unduly prejudiced the panel. Plaintiff's lawyer Robert Bucola, a veteran Sacramento trial lawyer who 12 years ago won a $9 million award, which until this week stood as the record for Sacramento, was quoted as saying that the father-daughter relationship was, quote, legally irrelevant, unquote. I gather the attorney in this case is going to take a third of that, $8 million. And I must say, as much as my heart goes out to the victim in this case, this is an example of why we need tort reform in America. When a father runs over a daughter and a daughter can sue the firm that hired her father, something is wrong. Speaking of things being wrong, a lot of people are questioning whether we should have killer whales doing performances for audiences. In fact, in future installments of the show, we're going to see if we can't bring some experts from UC Davis on to talk about this. I think I'll quote from a letter to the Sacramento Bee by Linda Middlesworth from Sacramento who said, please realize that whales are wild and they do not belong in prison inside theme parks. They're captured in nets while young and then must perform unnatural tricks in captivity for their lifetime. When in captivity, they often get sick and die early. They often go crazy, as would any animal placed in an unnatural environment. 
Please do not attend marine theme parks as we must stop the greedy, selfish exploitation of these voiceless, magnificent animals. It's all about making money for people. You can stop this cruelty by not going to theme parks. And writing in the London Independent, Michael McCarthy said, Orcas are prisoners, and justifiably angry ones at that. The stress they feel being penned up in tiny concrete pools while performing cheesy stunts for the benefit of tourists explains why orcas, which have never deliberately attacked a human in the wild, have killed 24 people while in captivity. Like I say, we'll return to that topic, but uh, shocking uh, datum from uh, the New York Times noted that in Santa Monica, the makers of the award-winning documentary film The Cove instituted a covert operation to ferret out what they say is illegal whale meat uh, turning up in Los Angeles's sushi restaurants. Samples of the meat were taken from the restaurant and sent to a whale expert and was shown that DNA testing revealed that uh, they were from a say whale, which are found worldwide but are, are endangered and are sometimes hunted in the North Pacific under a controversial Japanese scientific program, which is where they basically go out and hunt the whales and turn them into sushi and say, we're conducting research. Speaking of research, several journals will no longer publish quote, research, unquote, supported by the tobacco industry. Article in News Scientist about Ginny Barber, founding editor and now the chief editor of the open access journal PLOS Medicine. She's the acting secretary of the Committee on Public Ethics, an association of research journals. Noted that uh, the journal has made a decision to stop accepting papers reporting research funded by tobacco companies. They note that tobacco uh, kills Four million people worldwide directly, and of course, millions more indirectly. The editor felt that the tobacco industry has no reason to fund research aimed at improving public health. If they wanted to do that, they would just shut down. The main reason for publishing research about tobacco is to downplay the harm it causes, which they're now calling a form of advertising. Jenny Barber said that journals cannot just be passive conduits for papers. We have a duty to promote human health. Banning tobacco-funded papers can help researchers who are under pressure to accept funding the next time the tobacco companies offer them money. They can say, no thanks. As we noted on last week's program, uh, tobacco firms hired the best public relations agencies to plant seeds of doubt in the public mind about how dangerous uh, uh, tobacco was. And of course, uh, Phoning up research that showed the same thing was one of their main thrusts. These same firms have now been hired by uh, the oil industry and other, um, other industries dependent upon fossil fuels to promote doubt about global warming. In fact, article in, uh, on the March 3rd edition of the Sacramento Bee, a reprint from the New York Times article by John Ambroder, noted this so-called climate gate uh, uh, scandal which consists of a few intemperate emails and says nothing about the basic science, have been uh, trumped up. And according to the article, survey last December showed the number of Americans who believe that climate change was a hoax or a scientific conspiracy has doubled since 2008 to 16% from 7%. Article notes that climate scientists have been shaken by the criticism quoted uh, Peter Frumhoff, an ecologist and chief scientist at the Union of Concerned Scientists, who said, it's clear that the climate science community was just not prepared for the scale and ferocity of, of the attacks, and they simply have not responded swiftly and appropriately. 
adding, we need to acknowledge the errors and help turn attention from what's happening in the blogosphere to what's happening in the atmosphere. Anyway, it's sad. Global warming is taking place, and the PR spinners in this country are trying to focus on whether it's real or not. Well, it is. We'll be talking about that more in the future. But let's take a break. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. (laughs) 